0: serve a great god don't we one who hears us one who answers prayers one whom we can trust in one whom we can rejoice in if you would please take your bibles and turn with me to james chapter five james chapter five as we consider god's greatness how often do we forget or neglect to come before him in prayer We have been studying for some time the life of Elijah. And last week we learned that Elijah was a man of prayer. Really, it wasn't just last week. It's a theme of his life. Over and over and over we find Elijah praying, 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 it was vividly illustrated for us last week when King Ahaziah, disregarding the fact that there is a God in Israel, went to seek a fortune, uh, a, a, a prediction of whether or not he would recover from a pagan, false, foreign God. And God used Elijah to confront him and to remind him and all of the nation of Israel and all of us today to ask ourselves this question. Is there not a God in Israel? Can I rephrase that for New Testament believers? Is there not a God who lives within you? How often do we go forth in seeking to deal with matters and forget to pray? I'm convicted myself in this study again of Elijah of how many times I go forth in my own strength and my own wisdom seeking to solve problems and take care of issues and neglect to pray. James chapter 5 follow with me in verse 17 where it tells us that Elias Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. Sometimes we think of some people and other people as being super spiritual. We're all of like passions. Just as Elijah. He didn't have any extra special connection to God. In fact, in some ways, we could say we have more of a special connection than he did in this dispensation of the church, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ having already been accomplished. He was a man of like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Elijah was praying that God would keep his word as he had given it to the nation of Israel. But as we think and consider the subject of prayer, and consider it in relation to Elijah, perhaps you have a question, as I do. How ought we to pray? You know you wouldn't be alone in asking that question, because there have been others in history, others of like passions as we, who asked the same question. How should we pray? Turn with me in your Bibles back to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 records history of the time when Jesus was here on this earth. And did you know that Jesus, although he himself is God, and he himself is the God-man who is the mediator in this time, that Jesus was a man of prayer? Jesus was a man of prayer as he spoke and prayed to his father. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, it tells us this. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, Jesus, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples, and he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven so in earth give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil he goes on to give a parable of how important it is for us to be persistent in prayer, also reminding us of the privilege we have with God as our Father. This morning, I'd like to look at what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. But if you look closely at this, it's a misnomer to call it the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? One reason is that when Jesus began in teaching them in verse 2, notice that he says, When ye pray, say. He doesn't say when we pray, or when I pray, this is what I say. He says, When ye pray, say. This is important because one of the reasons that this cannot be the Lord's prayer is in this record, in verse 4, the prayer is forgive us our sins. And we know that Jesus was without sin. He never committed any sin. This prayer was never applicable to him. But it is certainly applicable to every one of us. For all of us have sinned. This is a model prayer. Now, some are shy. And in some cases, I'll I'll be candid. It's hard to preach on the Lord's Prayer. Did you know that? Do you know why? Because it is so common to us. It is so common to us. And there have been so many preachers who have come before me who have done incredible jobs of expounding this prayer. I feel humbled to even come close to going into the depths. But there's so much in this prayer that we can learn. And so this morning, as we've been looking at Elijah, this man of prayer, I've been asking the Lord, teach me to pray Teach me to be a man of Eli- as Elijah. And it led us to this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, laid out for us as a model. Another reason that some people may find the Lord's Prayer a hard um, topic to deal with, not just as preachers but as individuals, is because it has been liturgical uh, how would you say this? Um, it's been liturgicized. Oh, there's another name for it. I'm not pronouncing it right, or I just invented a word. It's 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 become it's become rote. It's it's become something that is used in liturgical services. Liturgical services are services that um, are are laid out in detail, and and they follow orders of service with very little room to shift and change, and even we have orders of service, but um, it's not in a sense that it's rote, and sometimes the Lord's Prayer is used so frequently and in so many different contexts that it is rote, and it's, it's just words, and sometimes the words are recited or said, and they're not always said with meaning or with sincerity, they're just recited. Now, that doesn't mean that we should ignore it. It doesn't mean that we should never pray it. It's an important prayer in and of of itself. But it's more than just a prayer to be recited. It's a prayer to pray, and it is a model. There are elements in this prayer that lay forth for us models of ways that we can pray. Themes in different contexts that are laid out for us. So if you take your Bibles and turn with me now back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is the parallel passage. So we, don't not, on, we not only have this prayer recorded for us in, by Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, but we also have it recorded for us, and the more famous record of it is in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus, here still, is instructing his disciples. And again, he begins by instruction. After this manner, therefore pray ye. It's something that is a manner. It's a pattern that's laid out for us. And he begins. Well, before I take it phrase by phrase, let's read it in its entirety, as recorded here in Matthew And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Great God, our Heavenly Father, we echo with the disciples of old in beseeching you to teach us to pray. We know that you have said in your word that sometimes we don't know how we ought to pray. And you've said that your Holy Spirit will help us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, who also has the special ministry of teaching, would teach us this morning as well to pray. Help us as we look at this prayer. Instruct us through it. And Lord, may we all be strengthened in our relationship with you and may our ability and our priority and our passion to communicate with you and to commune with you day by day be richer and stronger and greater as a result of looking and observing and meditating upon this model. We commit ourselves now to you. I pray that you will guide me as I teach and preach. Fill me with your spirit. We yield to you and ask for you to teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a model. It's a model prayer. Notice the first phrase. Our Father, which art in heaven. Some people struggle with the concept of God being a father because they haven't had always good experiences with fathers. God as a father is the ideal father. Whatever you could imagine as being the perfect father is who he is. But I ask you, is he your father? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you his child? Remember, these words are common to us. In fact, this passage, and one of the reasons why I wanted to teach on it, is the this Lord's Prayer as recorded here in Matthew, is in our red milk book this year. And here in just a few weeks, we're going to be coming to this passage, and as a church, we're going to be memorizing this passage, and many of you already have it memorized, so it's going to be check easy, right? I am not a you that as you come to that, that you not just um, rotely check check got this. And if you're one of the kids and you go say it to your leader, but to think about the words. You may know the words, but take some time to meditate on it. Meditate, think on these words. What do they mean? And what application do they have in your life? I think a very important question for us to begin asking is Is God our Father? Is He your Father? You see, each and every one of us could be said to be the children of our Father, the devil, because we have gone astray. And we've turned everyone to his own way, like sheep going astray. But Jesus took our iniquities, our sins upon himself, and died so that we could be restored in our relationship with our creator, with our God. That it be a real relationship, a relationship as a father and a child. And so as you meditate on this phrase, meditate on asking yourself that first question. Is he really my father? And for many of you, the answers are resounding yes. And when you realize that, begin to meditate and to think upon the reality and the privileges you have considering the fact that the God of all creation is your father. He's your father in heaven. In heaven carries significance, not because he's somewhere far off and removed from us. Sometimes we think of heaven in that way. In this context here, and the significance of it, is not that he is far off and removed from us. It's the very fact that we are able to speak with him as if we were talking to him face to face right here in this room. Although recognizing and realizing that he is the creator of all things and he reigns supreme from heaven over everything. He's your father, and he reigns supreme. Awesome privileges included in all of that. And when you come to him in prayer, you may be in the lowest of places. You may be in the filthiest of places. You may be in the most painful place. But when you come to him, it's as if you were entering the very throne room of God into his presence and you can recognize and realize that no matter what situation or place you're in, the one who sits and reigns supreme from heaven is your daddy. And he's right there ready to hear your prayers and to answer your prayers. Our Father, which art in heaven. Again, if you may have a perspective of a father that's been skewed by the sin-cursed world we live in, this relationship's not like that. This is a relationship of a father who longs to give to his children good gifts. Do we come before him? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hollywood. That's not a word we use every day, is it? I wonder if you've ever used that word apart from reciting it in the Lord's Prayer. I wonder, do you know what it means? How many times have you recited the Lord's Prayer? Do you know what this word means? Hallowed be thy name. It's an old English word, a Saxon word actually, that comes from the idea of holiness of being sacred hallowed is a name or something or a place that is special and set apart and distinct and unique sometimes we speak of hallowed ground there's a concept it's hallowed why because it's special for some reason. Some people like to think of their their classrooms or the great halls of their universities are hallowed halls. They speak of them sometimes. They're special places. Well, the concept is here. The prayer is that God's name is hallowed, special, holy, sanctified, set apart. And the prayer is, hallowed be thy name. Whose name? God's name. Our Father's name. One of the key pieces of prayer is recognizing the names of God, which are not just names of identification. They are names that distinguish and describe who he is and his character. Do you have your scripture song books there in front of you? Could you grab it? Take your scripture song books and turn with me to, um, to number 36. We're actually going to look across the page from 36. But the song 35 is, is the names of God with Psalm 23. And we sang this actually just a few weeks ago. Um... And it's the words of Psalm 23 set to music, incorporating different Hebrew names of God. And at the end of that song, we've listed here and published in the little songbook here, um, across page from number 36, the different names that are in this song that are names that are tied to the different aspects um, referred to in Psalm 23 and these are not just fancy or 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 creative names of hebrew to sound uh, special they're hebrew names and they're special but it's important that we not just know the hebrew names but we know the meaning of them but not just the meaning but we know how these names are hallowed they are special Because they describe for us who our God is. And when we come to him in prayer, we recognize who he is. We recognize that he is set apart from everyone else. That there is no one like him. There is no God like him. There is no person like him. There is no demon, no angel like him. No one is like our God. He is, not only in name, but in character and in personality and in all aspects, hallowed, special, unique, set apart. So one of the titles that we have already seen is Our Father, an incredible description of who our God is. But when you think about who your father is, in light of all of his other names, How much bigger and greater and more special that becomes. Adonai. He's referred to as Adonai. What does Adonai mean? It means the great Lord. A master. A reference to the fact that he is over everything. He's the Lord and master over everything. Everything reports to him. Everyone. Reports to him. And so when you come to him, not only is he your daddy, but everything is subject to him. He is the great Lord. You need direction? You ever come to your dad for advice? Direction and wisdom, what path to go, what way to go? Your daddy in heaven is Jehovah-Rohi. Which literally means, the Lord, my shepherd. He's the shepherd. Now, not just is he one that gives guidance as a shepherd, but as Brother Dinsmore shared with us a few weeks ago in Psalm 23, all of the beauty that we see in Psalm 23, of all that's encompassed, not only in guidance and care and protection, it's just a manifold um, application of the truth and reality that Our Father in heaven is Jehovah-Rohi. He is the good shepherd who cares for us. Hallowed be Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord my shepherd. Hallowed be Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh means that the Lord... Jehovah, he sees. But not only does he see, he does something about it, and he provides for the needs that he sees. You ever known a dad to miss stuff? I'm a dad, and I miss stuff all the time, don't I? I don't see everything. Even though I try to pay attention, I don't see everything your father in heaven, your daddy in heaven, he's Jehovah Jireh, the one who sees and provides exactly what is needed. You ever feel like you're not seen, you're invisible? Well, you're not, you're not invisible because your heavenly father is Jehovah Jireh who sees and provides. Hallowed be Jehovah Jireh. Hallowed be Jehovah Shalom. In life, have you ever had an experience of chaos and trouble? Whether it be in relationships, or in finances, or in anything. And there's trouble. There's confusion. There's turmoil. Well, your Heavenly Father is unique and special and separate. He is Hallowed in the fact that he is the Lord, our peace. The good shepherd is the one who gives peace that passeth understanding, peace that doesn't make any sense. Testimony after testimony recorded in the word of God and recorded throughout history of believers who are in the most excruciating pain and turmoil find themselves in unspeakable, undescribable and the reason is is because their daddy is hallowed as Jehovah Shalom the Lord of peace do you see now when we come time to pray in times of turmoil our father which art in heaven we recognize he's our daddy and we recognize he reigns supreme over all the earth and over all of the heavens. And we recognize that he's the one who gives peace. It's a recognition. It's us in when we say and when we consider him, it's not just a saying of him being hollowed. It's recognizing in our hearts and our minds and our spirits, and in some cases our bodies, that he is hollowed, he is set apart. In these special ways. Have you ever been sick? Both sick in mind and body. Sick in spirit. Different ways of being sick, isn't there? Sometimes they are intertwined with each other. Well, your father in heaven is hallowed as Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord who heals. Many struggle with this because they see sickness all around and they even see believers who are struggling in sickness and they say, well, if he's the one who sees and if he's the one who gives peace and if he's the one who heals, then why doesn't he just heal? God has many purposes in sickness and through sickness, a subject we've addressed in the past and we'll continue and again address it. Sometimes it's for his glory. Sometimes it's to get our attention. Sometimes it is because of sin. In some ways, it's always because of sin. Not necessarily personal. But he's one who heals. Sometimes he heals in this life. And sometimes he heals by taking us to his presence. When you pray... Consider and recognize, not just in word, but in spirit, that your Father in heaven is hallowed, as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. He is Jehovah Sitkenu. He is the Lord, our righteousness. As a believer, Have you ever failed, fallen into sin? Later in this prayer, it is a prayer that he forgive us our debts. Luke records the word sins as we forgive our debtors. He's a forgiving father. And he's one who is able to forgive as the Lord my righteousness You see, Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life, as we mentioned a moment ago. And in his perfect and sinless life, when he died and rose again, he made it possible for us as believers. When we trust in him, we become united with him and identify with him, and he clothes us in his righteousness. He makes forgiveness possible, but not only forgiveness, but then he clothes us in his righteousness. Those times when we have guilt, whether of things in gone long past or of the very recent past of the last few moments, we can come to our daddy, our heavenly father, recognizing and knowing that he is hallowed as Jehovah Sitkenu. Jehovah, my righteousness. He's Jehovah. Shama. Well, what's that mean? He's the Lord, my companion. Those times when I'm alone, forsaken by friends or family, or maybe not forsaken, but feel forsaken, I can come to him in prayer, my Father, recognizing that he is hallowed as Jehovah Shama my companion and also Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said he will never leave us nor forsake us. As believers, he lives inside of us. So not only is he in heaven, Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father who sits and reigns supreme over everything. He lives within us. And when we come to him, we recognize that he is our companion, the one who is with us and never will forsake us. He is hallowed as Jehovah Sabaoth. What's that mean? He is set apart. He is distinct. He is unique in the fact that he is Lord of hosts and of armies. He is the Lord Almighty. No one can come close him close to Him. And so when we pray to Him, we recognize that He is the Almighty One. No army, no intimidator, no bully, no nobody can come close to who He is. He's Jehovah Mekedishkim. Jehovah, the one who sanctifies us. The one who sets us apart. By the way, we could preach a whole sermon on every single one of these. These are just little overviews. He's the one who, as we, his child, we are set apart as a treasured, treasured possession. And not only set apart as a treasured possession, we are set apart in all ways of life. It's a way, it's a motivation for us to consider how we live, what we do. Do we live considering ourselves set apart? It's kind of interesting. Hollywood speaks of being set apart, being holy. And so God is the one who also is holy and who has called us to be holy. We can come before him under that realization. And then the last name, which is tied in with all of these names, for the name Jehovah is an English edition of the Hebrew name Yahweh. Yahweh, Jehovah. That literally means I am that I am. He is. He is. He is. He always has been. He always was. He is. He is. And he always will be. He is. He is the self-existent one. Having no beginning or end, he is eternal. Everything he's been here for. Everything by him consists. He is the I am. And when we consider this, when we pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's the I Am, the creator of all things. What a privilege we have to call him our Father. And these names here in the songbook are only a few of the many names given to God and a host of other names given to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these are real when we consider and come before him saying, in prayer, Hallowed be thy name. Not just a name and a title. A name is who he is in character and in person. Do we pray, recognizing him to be Hallowed in all his name. So often in life, we go forward and um, we may not take his name in vain in the sense of cursing his name. But we do not have the hallowedness in recognizing his name. Do you see the opposite? There, there There is the aspect of taking his name in vain. And we would think, oh, we would never, we would never curse his name. We would never use his name in a worthless or a a meaningless way. Let me ask you to look at it from the two, two perspectives of using his name in vain and using his name as hallowed. Do you see the two extremes? How do we use his name? How do we live day by day using his name? We would say, oh, I never take it in vain, but do we take it as hallowed? Is he and his person and who he is in our lives set apart, hallowed in our lives? When we recognize who he is in these realities, then as we continue on down through the aspects of this prayer, it's overwhelming as we realize the things that we have access to and through in Christ Jesus. Verse 10 Thy kingdom come. Now we recognize, and I've referred to several times here, as God being supreme and king and ruling over all things. And that's true. He does. But there's also an aspect of the kingdom of Christ that will come. I think that's what this reference here is too is the fact that there's this promised kingdom that has been referred to, an earthly kingdom with Jesus reigning as king on this earth. And this is a desire and longing for it to come, knowing that it's not by us through whom it will be brought, but it will be him that brings it to pass. And recognizing that fact, it continues in the aspect of our daily lives. Thy will be done in earth, as it is in heaven. We may recite this prayer and recite that phrase, but do we understand the significance of it? God's will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's some messianic and millennial aspect to looking at this. But but let's just set that part aside, acknowledging it, but set it aside for a moment and just consider where we're at right now. Do we look at each day and the activities of the day and the details of the day, recognizing that our Father is in heaven reigning supreme, that he is hallowed, sacred, holy, 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 holy. And he's all the things by the names he's revealed himself as. And then do we recognize that our will ought to be subject to his will? It's not about me living my life the way I want to live it and saying, God, give me your approval on this, give me your approval on this, and give me your approval on this. But do we know him in character and person? And do we know his word? So that when we make our priorities for the day, we are seeking to accomplish God's will on this earth. What a way to approach our daily uh, priority lists. Not just a prayer request that's wrote, that comes out, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but really considering, Lord, how is my day ordered today according to your word? Give us this day. Our daily bread. This one is perhaps to the wealthy American who rarely goes hungry, uh, one for us to have trouble recognizing. We 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 don't it's not that no one does, but so, so many of us do not have fear of where tomorrow's meal will come from or how it will come. But do we live even in that prosperity, knowing that all things come from God? Even Jesus, as the one who is the creator of all things and by whom all things consist, when it came time for breaking of bread, For eating together, he gave thanks. Give us this day our daily bread. In all things that we eat, do we recognize in thanksgiving and acknowledgement that it all comes from our God? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We've all sinned. First John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do we confess our sins? Not just in a general way as in this prayer. This is again the reason why this prayer is a model and not specific in, as just as a rote prayer specifics. What are those debts? What are those sins? Luke uses the word sin. Those debts, sin is like a debt that needs to be forgiven. Do we humble ourselves day by day and sometimes hour by hour in confessing our sins, seeking his forgiveness? And then do we forgive others? do we then forgive others? I'll be candid. It's hard to forgive. And in some regards, it's impossible to forgive. But isn't it wonderful that we have as a heavenly father one who accomplishes the impossible? He's the one who can forgive through us as we forgive others just as he forgives us for Christ's sake. Verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, God does not tempt us to sin. The temptation here is including temptation to sin, but it's also an aspect of trials. It's a prayer of deliverance or seeking of prevention in deliverance. And when we consider it in the aspect of trials, as well as we consider it in the aspect of temptation to sin, as we think of this, if we were to pray this in sincerity, how many times do we have our day set up and things set up so that we can fall into temptation? So many times I, I speak for myself and, and I see it in children because children don't mask it as well as us adults do, and, and I see it in others' lives where where we purposely set up it seems things and ways for us to fall as if to excuse ourselves when if anticipating what will cause us to stumble we ask God in his grace and wisdom to deliver us from it? Why would we think of setting ourselves up for failure and for sin? Here in this aspect, if we truly mean it, do we truly? Do we really seek for God to deliver us from evil or are we really more so interested in just consuming the things upon our own lusts and desires and passions? I want what I want. This is real. It's a true desire to live, not going into temptations, but seeking deliverance and recognizing that it needs to come from God. And it ends kind of where it began in praise, recognizing that God is the kingdom. Again, He reigns supreme over all things. And he has the power. That's an idea of the kind of power that comes from dynamite. He, he, he has the power. It's his, and we recognize that. And he has the glory, the majesty, the wonder of all, of everything. It's his. And it's not just temporary. I, there's, there's an old um, old, old little, little message by S.M. Lockridge. If you're on our email list, I got a few things I want to send out to you later this week, and that's a link to one of them, is a video of S.M. Lockridge kind of going through some of this, and, and um, the glory, and it's forever. And, and the aspect is, you know, we, we think of transitions of power, whether it's in violence or in peaceful transitions of power as we have privilege here in the United States, and all the glory and all the pomp. Well, with Christ, with God, As the eternal supreme king of kings and God of gods, it's forever. These things have been true, are true, and will be true. There's no change of it. And the last word, amen. Now, in case you didn't know, as I wonder if people know this in America, as you may have heard a rumor of what someone thought that meant, or I don't know what it was recently, in the halls of Congress. It has nothing to do with gender. It is a word that means, let it be so. It's a Hebrew word translated into Greek, translated into Latin, or I should say transliterated into Greek, transliterated into Latin, transliterated into English, and you can pretty much go to almost any language in the world and you'll find it's transliterated. I can be at a church service That's all in Chinese, and I only know a few Chinese words, and nobody even had to teach me the word amen because they say, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but I can pick it off. Um, It's close, close, close to amen. It's, It's there. It means let it be so. Let it be so. So be it. It's a term. It's a term of confidence. It's a declaration of trust. Trust in your Father. Let it be so. We need to learn to pray, to truly commune and talk with our God. And to recognize and realize who he truly is. For he is hallowed. He is holy. He is great. And he's one we can come to. So as we read of Elijah and all of the things that he accomplished through prayer, we sometimes marvel what a wonderful privilege he had. In many respects, we have much greater privilege today. But do we use it? Let's use it. Let's use it every day and throughout our days coming to the one who's in heaven but also lives within us. Father, our heavenly Father, we bow before you this day in humility. We are so small, we are so insignificant, we are so helpless, but you are so great. You are so high, you are so powerful. You, you oversee all things. Teach us to pray, teach us to recognize and to avail ourselves to this privilege we have Every day, every moment. For you are our companion. You are Emmanuel. And Lord, we need you every single day. Lord, we need you in the days of joy and in the nights of trouble. We need you in all things. We need you in times of failure and guilt as well as we need you in the times of victory and glory in your righteousness. May in all things we seek you truly forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, and may we also forgive those who have sinned against us, who have wronged us, just as you have for Christ's sake. And indeed, may all the glory and all the honor be yours. And may your will be done here on earth and in our lives, in our daily schedules and in our routines and in our words and in our actions and in our thoughts. May your will be done as it is in heaven. And we look to the day when you will reign supreme as the King of kings on this earth. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you come quickly. We long for that day. And Lord, we commit ourselves to you. May we be faithful because you are faithful, knowing that you are setting us apart day by day, that you are washing us and cleansing us with the water of your word to present us to yourself. May we be your humble vessels as the lump of clay on the potter's wheel Surrendered and yielded to your mighty, gracious, loving, and kind hand. Mold us and shape us as you see fit. And may we always be a people who walk with you humbly. You are God. We commit ourselves to you in this day. And Father, I also pray For those in this room who have not received the Lord Jesus Christ, who have not received the forgiveness of sins, who have not been saved, who cannot truly call you Father, Lord, draw them to yourself. May your Holy Spirit reprove and rebuke, show them of righteousness and judgment and of hope that's only through Jesus Christ. And may they today believe on you, Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. What a glory that would be this day for those to receive salvation. And so now, Lord, as we continue in this day, we surrender and we yield ourselves to you. And we pray all of this in the precious, glorious, powerful name of Jesus our Messiah, our Lord. Amen.